Welcome to another episode of the Mobilize podcast. I am Alessio Bricca, a postdoc in the Mobilize project. And today I have the pleasure to interview Alison Owens. She is a clinical professor at the University of British Columbia at the Department of Physical Therapy. But what I think it's, it's more important and, and very cool about Alison is that she is a physical therapy knowledge broker. So welcome, Alison. A pleasure to have you on the Mobilize podcast. Thank you, Alicia. It's a pleasure to be able to spend some time with you and the listeners. Today, we'll focus on knowledge translation and stakeholder engagement. But before getting into this uh, interesting topic, uh, can you please introduce uh, yourself uh, a bit more and share with us uh, what a physical therapy knowledge broker uh, does? <laughs> Certainly, I will try. <laughs> uh, so I'm a physical therapist trained in British Columbia. And uh, for my postgraduate studies, I actually went to Australia. And my interests at that time were in uh, dynamometry, computerized assessment of muscle function. However, during that time, I also got interested in electrophysical agents. Um, so things like TENS and ultrasound and uh, laser, etc. When I came back to Canada after my uh, master's in Australia, I worked clinically for quite a period of time, but it became evident that it's really hard for clinicians and for researchers and for patients to find, to understand, and to use evidence. And when I speak about evidence, I don't just mean evidence from the literature. That's one kind of evidence. But also how do researchers access the evidence that clinicians are able to provide? And how do clinicians and researchers access and understand the information, the evidence that patients are able to provide? So during that uh, time period, there was a sort of a evolution in thought about the need to have an intermediary, a person who kind of bridges the worlds between research, clinical practice, and uh, patients and policymakers. And that term, the term for that is called a knowledge broker. So it's kind of like a bridge between, an intermediary between the worlds. And I became very interested and did quite a bit of uh, additional uh, training in this area. And I've worked for the past, oh, close to 12 years uh, as a knowledge broker. Uh, and it has been awesome. Fantastic. This is, this is very cool and uh, I would say innovative in the field of uh, sports medicine in general. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's fortunately, it's not just sports medicine. So knowledge translation is really about helping not only to share knowledge, but to create new knowledge together and then to share it together and help it be used together. That's really what knowledge translation is about. And if you think about that, that's 
agnostic of a particular condition, a particular intervention, a particular field of practice. So it's not just sports medicine, these, um, uh, the projects, the 74, 75 projects that I've been involved with uh, in the last um, 12 years have been uh, cover the breadth of cardiorespiratory, neuro, orthopedics, geriatrics, pediatrics, um, you name it. Can you please uh, share with us uh, uh, one of these projects? Uh, sure. Well, they, it's it would be a bit of a challenge to share from '74. Uh, so, if people are interested in specific areas, I would encourage them to go to the website. Uh, so, if you Google UBC for University of British Columbia Physical Therapy knowledge broker, you will see a number of the projects there listed with all of the outputs from it. So there's been 24 toolkits, checklists, videos, etc. that have been developed from it with about 800,000 views worldwide. Um, so clearly um, there's an interest when you are addressing things that are meaningful to people. So let me give you a little bit of a picture of how this happens. Yes. I put out uh, a call for proposals for knowledge broker facilitated projects. And anyone can submit a proposal saying, hey, there seems to be a gap in this area. Could, could you undertake this, help us with this? So the most important thing is that I'm an N of one. So an N of one does not, is not capable of completing a whole lot. It's about a, me helping to bring together people and enabling them in a process to come out with a shared outcome. So it's not about me, it's about the over 500 people who have participated in these projects. Clinicians, researchers, patients, um, huge number of people. So that kind of gives you uh, an introduction of how this happens. So they submit a proposal. I meet together with my steering committee and we select the proposals that are gonna move forward based on the resources that are required, um, the anticipated reach, how many people could it benefit, the need, those kinds of things. So things that you might be familiar with that have been a part of this position have been things like the Achilles tendinopathy toolkit, or the lateral epicondyle toolkit, or the total joint arthroplasty, so total knee and total hip replacement outcome measures. There's been so many different projects. There's been one on um, the criteria to identify when it's safe to mobilize somebody in a critical care setting. And there's just recently been the launch of something called Active for Health, where we brought together over 160 patients, clinicians, and researchers to go through the web, essentially, 
looking for resources to support physical activity for people living with chronic health conditions. So people living with diabetes, people living with cancer, people living with arthritis, people living with heart disease, kidney disease, lung diseases, and then identifying those resources and evaluating them. So people paired up, we used a standardized tool and we evaluated how good those tools are. Created a list of those that met a certain level of goodness, let's say, mm -hmm. and then shared those with research experts and ensured that the ones that came to the top that rose to the top as far as being uh, reputable, as being um, accurate, etc., were in synchrony with the research evidence. And then we paired up with our Ministry of Health in BC and put them online as the Active for Health Toolkit. And anyone from around the world can access Active for Health either as a healthcare provider or as a patient, you can click on either portal and then see the recommended resources to support physical activity in any health condition. Now, as you can imagine, that's not done by one knowledge broker. That's done by over 160 people that I worked with to enable that to happen. So that's an example of what a knowledge broker can do with others. Yeah, that's, that sounds fantastic. And uh, I mean, um, there is the questions you are addressing and the issues you're addressing are of uh, great importance. And there is no doubt that they have a huge uh, um, success. And uh, uh, we will post the resources and websites uh, to the, the description of the podcast so everyone can access them. Uh, this leads me very well to my next question, uh, which is about stakeholder engagement. Uh, we know in research, and we always say in research, that we should involve stakeholders uh, uh, more, such as patients and users, clinicians, and so on. It seems that you've done that uh, very well. Uh, how did you keep all these people engaged and, and happy in your projects? <laughs> uh, I think it's a matter of... Um, First of all, inviting people. Uh, you reach out and invite, and obviously you have to be connected to a number of different people, have mechanisms. So you find out in order to reach out to people, you have to know how to reach out to them, where they are. You don't create something new. You find out where people are going. So for example, on social media, I follow a lot of key influencers people who have huge followings. So recently when we released our resistance exercise toolkit, which was all about uh, how to support strength training in uh, elderly patients, hospitalized elderly patients. I simply went through my Twitter feed to look for key influencers um, 
found four people with massive followings. And in four tweets, there were 4,000 uh, downloads of the toolkit. Wow. So it is possible, same for patients. You can find all kinds of groups on Twitter and uh, on Facebook. Um, you can look, we have lists of patient organizations uh, and you can reach out and find, invite people to come to the table. If it is something that is meaningful to people that resonates with them, they will come to the table, whether they're clinicians, whether they're patients, whether they're researchers or whether they're policymakers. And then once you've invited them to the table, you help to shape the project together. I can't control and shape and say, this is what we're gonna do. I offer some options. And then we go through a process of identifying what I like to call the shape of the sandbox. How big is the sandbox? So for example, in the Achilles tendinopathy toolkit, is it insertional Achilles tendinopathy or is it mid-substance? Are we going to do both? Are we going to do one? And why? Uh, are we going to look at um, the literature in just manual therapy or exercise or electrophysical agents? Um, we decide as a group. So there is, it is not something, you know, none of these 500 people have been paid for huge amounts of time that they've put in. This is because it's projects that they care about, that you find a time of day and a day of week that people decide together when they're gonna meet on a monthly basis. Um, you create a process that people get to create together. Uh, and they're excited by, I create a list of tasks so things like, okay, do we need an ethics submission? Uh, are we doing interviews? Um, do we need to transcribe those interviews? Is it a survey? Uh, who wants to be involved in the data analysis? Who wants to be involved in uh, writing a manuscript? And you offer people and they sign up for what they're interested in. So the expectations are simply that people do what they want, when they can, in the way that best fits what they're able to do. And I think when you work together with people that way, it's meaningful. So they enjoy it. And in fact, about 25% of the 500 people have been on multiple projects with me, which tells me that they've enjoyed the process. Beautiful. That's uh, from what you're saying, uh, a key aspect of, um, of all of this is uh, identifying uh, the right uh, research questions or the right questions to answer that can attract uh, um, as many people as possible. Yes, I think that that's important. And, and it might all, not always be research questions. It could be clinical questions, or it could be um, clinical needs, such as, you know, which outcome measures out of the hundreds that are available, 
should we be focusing on and why? And it's really about taking a whole lot of information, bringing it together, and then funneling it down to the things that are most meaningful to patients, the things that are most meaningful to clinicians, and the things that are most meaningful to policymakers, and they could be different, or researchers. So, because nobody can possibly keep up with the volume of information that there is. So we kind of do the work for people. We, we do the work in bringing it together for them. Very nice. Very nice to hear that. <laughs> That's a very good service. <laughs> and um, uh, do you also uh, measure the uh, experience of, uh, uh, of the pe people involved in your projects? Um, so, I mean, to identify, for example, barriers and facilitators for them to be part of the, for part of the projects? Yeah, ideally, if you think about it, where are we're all part of a spectrum of experience and a spectrum of skills uh, and a spectrum of knowledge. And if you only invite people to the table who like uh, appetizers, there'll be a lot of the main meal that you never get to or the dessert that you never get to. But if you invite people to the table who have different expertise, different experience, different interests, you're going to get a wider selection. So I purposely look for people who are brand new to an area, as well as people who have a lot of experience in an area, uh, and people who are relatively new to an area, such as students or recently graduated uh, physical therapists. So, you know, if you want to really, if, if you're having a potluck and you want a really amazing feast, uh, invite people from all over the world and you'll get all kinds of different flavors um, and you'll have a much better experience that will be more reflective of what's available than if you invite only one kind of person to that event. Yeah, I totally agree. I agree that diversity diversity is a is a key feature of successful programs or mm -hmm. successful initiatives like like the one you've just described. Um, we are coming to an end of this podcast or of this very nice chat, and uh, I would like you to sum up uh, by letting. Uh, us know uh, what you'd like people to remember from this podcast with uh, ideally three key messages. Okay, well, no pressure there, Alicio. <laughs> uh, I think um, the most important thing is if you feel overwhelmed by how much evidence there is, how much information there is, you're not alone. And that it's impossible for everyone to keep up with everything. However, there are pockets of people who have um, interest in an area. And if you can bring those people together, they're usually very, and make the process fun and interesting and something that they choose how, what they want to learn and what they want to do. 
you can create, you can synthesize and find out the most important things for people so that they don't have to go and do that work themselves. So that's the most, that's the second thing. And the third thing is that once you find those kinds of resources, once you find those um, toolkits that have been developed, etc., you don't have to memorize anything. In this world of um, access to information instantaneously, you can keep going back to it. Don't feel that you need to memorize. So a lot of the things that we've developed are, are meant as references that you can go back to and you can use a little piece at a time. So again, like at that banquet, you can't eat everything all at once. Find some tasty little tidbits so that it feels like you've had a, a nice meal, you haven't overeaten, and the next day come back and choose something different from the table. Thanks, that's very useful. Um, thank you, Alison, for sharing with us your wisdom and experience. <laughs> and uh, we hope to have you again in one of our podcasts soon. Thanks. Thank you, and uh, wishing everybody a good day, no matter where they are around. Thanks. Bye-bye.